Who am I? That's not the question I'm asking you. That's the question that was asked to me uh, by a former Veritas student a few weeks ago when we were catching up. Of course, I knew who this student was. He and I had hung out often uh, when he was in college. He was in small groups that I led. He was a leader in our ministry for years. And yet, there he was in that conversation asking me the question, Kyle, who am I? Why? Why was he asking that question? Well, a lot had changed for this guy over the last several, couple of years, rather. He graduated from college and left much of what was familiar to him behind his friends, his church, this ministry, Mizzou. And in many ways, he had to leave behind what was familiar for what was largely unfamiliar. A new job in a new place with new people. But as if that weren't hard enough, about a year into that new job, he was transferred across the country to a new job in a new place with many different new people. And so here he is, away from family, away from friends, away from his church, away from home, away from any sentiment of familiarity. And as a result, he feels disconnected. He feels disoriented as he's facing all sorts of new pressures, new challenges, new experiences in this new place. And I think in the middle of our conversation, it just kind of all hit him. And his new context was forcing him to wrestle with that question, who am I? Now, I don't think he was asking that question in an existential sense, but rather he was asking the question as his way of saying, who do I want to be? How do I want to live my life in this new place? Who am I away from my normal context? Have you ever thought about those questions? Have you ever had to wrestle with those questions? See, I know a lot of you are, are, are graduating in just a few months. Maybe rea- that, that reality hasn't set in just yet, but it's coming quickly, just a few months. And soon, that's going to become, answering those questions is going to become your new reality in your new places, in your new jobs, around your new people. You too, many of you, will leave behind what is familiar for what is largely unfamiliar. Some of you, though, that's not just a future reality. That's your current reality, right? You're new to Mizzou, whether you're a freshman or a transfer student, maybe a foreign exchange student. You're away from family. You're away from friends. You're away from home, maybe for the very first time. And while there's a certain sense of excitement to that, there's also a palpable feeling of disconnectedness that comes along with it, a disorientation that makes you anxious about who you are and who your friends will be and how you want to live. But even if you aren't graduating soon and even if you're not new to college, most of us in here, if not all, can relate to being in situations and settings where we feel the disconnectedness of being away from home, of being outside of our comfort zones, of feeling like a stranger. Say it differently. We've all experienced, we've all felt the effects of being in a new place, in a new context. 
those places, those contexts that, that bring with them all sorts of pressure on our lives. Pressures that demand our attention. Sometimes pressures that demand our allegiance, demand our loyalties. See, the Bible has a word for this experience. It's exile. Now, that might be a strange word for many of us, but exile is actually a huge theme in the Bible, a theme so prominent that it runs from the beginning of God's story to the very end. And at the core of the experience of exile, the experience of being in new places with new pressures around new people, are questions that we all have to wrestle with, questions that we all have to answer. Who are we? How are we going to live? What will it look like to live faithfully for God in these places? I'm so glad you're here tonight because we're, we're kicking off a new sermon series, going through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We say book, but really 1 Peter is a letter, and it's a letter written by, you guessed it, Peter. Who's Peter, though? Peter, if you remember, if you're familiar with the Gospels, is one of Jesus' closest disciples. Disciple is just a general word for, for someone who believes in Jesus. Peter is a disciple of Jesus, but he's also a part of a group of 12 men that Jesus specifically calls apostles. What does apostle mean? Apostle, that word just means messenger or one who is sent out. And so Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels, he gives the apostles the the specific responsibility of being God's messengers. These men were chosen to spread the message of who Jesus was and what he was doing in the world to the entire world. And so after Jesus' resurrection, Peter, if you remember from the book of Acts, chapter 2 and 3, he's emboldened by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he goes on to be the leader of the early Christian church in Jerusalem. And he does that until persecution eventually forces him to flee, likely to Rome, which is where he started new churches and eventually wrote the letter of 1 Peter. And he wrote the letter of 1 Peter, he wrote this letter to people who found themselves away from the safety, found themselves away from the security, the comfort, the familiarity of home. People trying to find their identity and live faithfully for God in an unfamiliar place. People I think that you'll see that have a lot in common with you and me. Let's jump in. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, I have to admit, these verses, they're so rich, they're so dense theologically that we can't possibly cover everything that we need to cover in these first two verses in one sermon. Throughout our series, the next several weeks, we will, but tonight, that's not my goal. Tonight, I just want to talk about one word, exile. And specifically, I want to talk about what does exile have to do with us? Look again at Verse 1, notice that Peter calls his audience exiles. 
See, another way to say that word is stranger. And actually, in other parts of Peter's letter, he refers to this audience as, as aliens or sojourners. In other words, people that are outsiders. Why? We see these exiles that Peter's writing to are Christians that have been unwillingly sent from, kicked out of Rome by the Roman Emperor Claudius. And Claudius sends these Christians to these five Roman provinces in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. They were people who had been forced to leave behind what was familiar to them, the safety, the comfort, the security of home for what was unfamiliar. New places and new cities with different people Places and cities and people that were openly hostile to their Christian faith. You see, Peter's audience are strangers in a hostile land. They're disoriented. They're disconnected, living in what the Bible calls exile, left longing for home. But this isn't just their story. This isn't just Peter's audience's story. You see, like I said, from the earliest pages of the Bible, exile, in some sense, has always been the story of God's people. It's always been the story of God's people. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that God created a special home for Adam and Eve, a garden in a place called Eden. And God tells Adam and Eve that they can stay in the garden. They can stay in this home that God had created for them. And they could live forever with God in perfect love and perfect harmony if, if they did one thing. If they would obey God's command to not eat from the tree of good and evil. Now you know the story, right? They don't do it. Or they do it. They disobey God. They rebel, they reject God's offer, and as a result, sin and death and brokenness and alienation is unleashed into God's good world. And so what does God do? Well, as a consequence for their tragic choice, we see that he banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. He banishes them from their home. See, God sends them into exile. He sends Adam and Eve to live in an unfamiliar place around unfamiliar people, separated from the God that they were created to live forever with. Now thankfully, that's not the end of the story, right? As it turns out, God made his stuff and God actually likes his stuff and so he refuses to give up on humanity. He refuses to give up on living alongside his people and so he chooses a new people, a new family, Israel. And he rescues them from slavery to Egypt and its gods, and he gives them a new home, a place called the promised land. And this time, God says, to stay in your new home, you have to do one thing. You have to stay faithful to the terms of your covenant relationship with me. In other words, you have to obey me. But again, what do God's people do? They disobey they reject God's offer, and instead they, they say, we want to be like the surrounding nations. We want to look like everybody. God says, we want, I want you to be unique. I want you to be set apart. And they say, no, we want to be like everybody else. 
those surrounding nations worshiping pagan gods, indulging, indulging their lust, committing acts of violence and injustice. Yeah, that's who we want to be like. God begs them to reconsider, but they say, nah. They refuse. And so God says, fine, if, if that's what you want, if, if you really want to be like those surrounding nations, if you really want to be like them so badly, well, then why don't you just go and live among them? And so he raises up an empire, the Babylonian Empire. And he sends the Babylonian Empire in to overthrow Israel and take them back to Babylon. God sends his people from their home in the promised land to exile in Babylon. And for the next 70 years, that's where God's people live. Strangers in an unfamiliar land, disconnected, disoriented, exiles in a hostile culture, suffering under Babylonian oppression because of their faith in God. And as these people are living in exile in this society that is oppressing them because of their beliefs, they're sitting there wondering to themselves, asking themselves, who do we want to be? How are we going to live here? What's it going to look like to be faithful to God in this place, living as strangers, living as outsiders, living as exiles? And some of them, they, they, they respond by, by attempting to revolt, by attempting to, to withdraw from Babylonian culture. Others quickly compromise their beliefs. They adopt the Babylonian way of life. They accept the Babylonian gods as their own. But you see, living faithfully would require something other than withdrawing. It would require something other than compromising. Living faithfully for God would require God's people to live in Babylon without becoming like Babylon. Even if that meant, even if that meant enduring social exclusion and public shame. Now, why, why am I talking about all of this exile stuff? Why go through some of what the Old Testament has to say about exile? Well, because it serves as the backdrop. Fast forward to 1 Peter. It serves as the backdrop to Peter's audience. Sure, there's a new empire. Now it's Rome, a new place, a new people, but it's the same story. God's people living in an unfamiliar place, wondering who they are and what it looks like to live faithfully to God. Have you ever found yourself in an unfamiliar place, asking yourself, who am I? Asking yourself, what does it look like to be faithful to God here? See, Peter knows, Peter knows that his hearers are caught in the same tension. They're caught in the same tension that God's people have always faced. They could attempt to withdraw and revolt against a culture that rejects their beliefs. They could compromise who they were and what they believe and acquiesce to Roman society, to the Roman way of life. Or they could choose a different path. They could choose to live faithfully for God in a culture that was hostile to their faith without becoming like that culture. See, God's people were at a crossroads. Yes, they were in exile. Of course, it wasn't comfortable. And yet, God's mission remains. God's mission always remains. 
They were still called to be a blessing to the people around them. They were still called to sacrifice and love others around them. God was still looking to spread his kingdom of love and justice and mercy through them. The only question for them was, would they do it? Would they live faithfully for God? But you see, living faithfully, living faithfully as as strangers in a hostile place, is hard, right? I mean, it absolutely would come at a cost to Peter's audience. He knew that. Peter knew that. See, when, when those Christians abstained from bowing to the cultural gods, they were excluded. When those Christians abstained from worshiping the Roman emperor, they were excluded. They were left out of business deals, political decisions that were made mostly at pagan temples because they weren't worshiping there. To live faithfully would require them to lose out on all sorts of economic and social opportunities. They would undoubtedly suffer from verbal assaults, their honor, their status. They would watch, which, which the status far more important than material wealth in the ancient world. They would watch as their status and their honor was torn to shreds, all because of their faith in God and a culture that rejected him. You see, living faithfully for God while in exile wasn't easy, and it never is. It never is. And again, why am I saying this? Why are we talking so much about exile? Why are we talking so much about Peter's audience? Because I think our experience is similar. I don't just think, I know it is. See, we too are at a crossroads. In one way or another, we too are living in exile. We're not at home yet. One day we will be, but right now, this is not our home. And God says, because of that, living faithfully for him in exile is going to be hard. Like Peter's audience, it means at times we're going to be excluded. You and I, if we're following Jesus faithfully, are going to be excluded for our faith. No one likes being excluded though, right? I mean, of course not. Every, every single one of us has this deep longing to belong, a longing to be accepted. I mean, just think for a second about all the dumb things that you did in middle school and in high school. Right? Maybe you're trying not to think about those things like me. But you know what I'm talking about, right? The things you did, the things that you said, the places you went. Maybe for some of you, the things you wore, the things you drank, all kinds of dumb things, right? We did all kinds of dumb things just so that some group of people would accept us. Some group of people would tell us that we belong. Some group of people would include us. Nobody wants to be excluded. I heard someone uh, recently talking about a study um, being done at, at, at Stanford University among college students, particularly um, on this idea of belonging, of, of being included. Here's what the study found. It said, even in a single instance, it found this, even in a single instance of feeling excluded, 
even a single instance of feeling excluded had a negative impact on a college student's well-being. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, that isn't rocket science, Kyle. It's not, right. Of course, being excluded impacts our well-being. But the study goes further. That's why we're saying it, right? The study showed more. Here's what it showed. Being excluded for college students not not only impacted negatively your sense of well-being, it also negatively impacts your ability to, to perform well in school. So they found that, that, that students that had experienced exclusion were scoring significantly lower on IQ tests. It also found that it negatively impacted even your immune system. That's crazy. In other words, being excluded is so disorienting. It's such a disconnecting experience for us that it affects not only our well-being, it impedes our ability to perform well in school, and it impedes our ability to fight a common cold. You see, nobody likes to be excluded. And yet, God tells us that to follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't means at times we will. Following Jesus faithfully is going to put us at odds with a culture that doesn't. Living as exiles means that you and I are going to have to make a choice about who we want to be and how we want to live inside of that tension, inside of that tension of living in a place that rejects our beliefs. And so like God's people in the Bible, we have choices to make. Right, one choice we we can make is to withdraw from our culture. To remove ourselves from people and places that don't share our beliefs. And not only remove ourselves, instead we, we retreat and we create Christian subcultures. Nice, insulated little bubbles away from anyone that disagrees with us. Away from anyone that rejects us. Away from anyone that makes life hard for us because of what we believe. Another choice that we could make is to compromise, right? To compromise our beliefs and conform to culture's ideas, conform to culture's values, conform to culture's expectations of who we should be and what the good life truly is. I mean, everyone is trying to sell a version of the good life. And if we compromise to our culture's understanding of the good life, we not only compromise, but we conform so much that eventually our lives look the same as everybody around us, belief in Jesus or not. Our lives look virtually identical with everyone around us. Do either of those choices describe your life? Who who you are right now? How you're living right now? Let me ask it this way. Where are you withdrawing where are you compromising with respect to your Christian faith if you call yourself a Christian? See, if either of those scenarios, people, is you, and in some sense it's all of us, right? God wants something different. God wants something different for you. He wants something different for me. He doesn't want us to retreat. He doesn't want us to compromise. Yes, 
We're in exile. We're not at home. And yet, if we're Christians, God, his mission stays the same. God is calling us to be agents spreading his kingdom of love and justice and mercy wherever we find ourselves. You see, God doesn't want us to compromise. God doesn't want us to retreat. He wants us to engage. God wants us to be engaged exiles. Exiles in the world, but agents of change. Okay, but it's hard, Kyle. Yeah, it is. I, I, I get it. It's hard for me. It's hard trying to remain faithful to Jesus in the face of all sorts of external pressures that tell you to do otherwise. It's hard to live faithfully for Jesus in the face of pressures that tell you to do otherwise. But will we? I mean, will we be faithful? That's what this is all about. You see, will you be faithful to Jesus when the culture inside of your fraternity house or your sorority house tells you to live like they are? Who are you going to be? How are you going to live in your classes in the face of intellectual prowess that belittles your beliefs, that calls you a naive little Christian for believing that hocus pocus stuff? See, will you be faithful in your campus organizations, your leadership positions, your relationships with, with others when sometimes they're asking you to compromise what you believe. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. Are you going to be faithful to Jesus or compromise what you believe? You see, living faithfully for Jesus in the midst of physical and spiritual, in our case, exile, is going to be hard. It's going to be costly. It's a tension-filled life. Remaining faithful to Jesus, for Peter's audience, it meant several things, right? It meant being excluded, being excluded from celebrations and experiences and opportunities and lifestyles of their peers. But it also meant Resisting the seductive cultural definitions of the good life. At times, foregoing wealth, status, honor, success, power, influence in their culture. I mean, are, are, are you willing to do that? I mean, if we get what, what this is saying, are you willing to do that? If it means compromising your beliefs. If culture is asking you, to give in. See, and at, uh, of course, for Peter's audience, remaining faithful to Jesus in a culture that didn't share their beliefs meant at times they would suffer for their faith. We don't like that word, suffer. But that's what the Bible teaches. There will be times you will suffer for faithfully following Jesus. See, Peter's audience was shamed. They were derided, bullied, name-called, some of you have experienced that. And if not, you will. When we live faithfully in a culture that rejects us because of our beliefs. So who do we want to be? How do we want to live? How do you want to live in college? However much time you have left here. How do you want to be faithful to Jesus? 
See, Peter's writing this letter because he doesn't want his audience floundering for an identity in their unfamiliar places, in an unfamiliar time. And so he writes to remind them and encourage them. Go back to verse 2. He says, you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Music team comes up. See, Peter's writing to remind his audience. He knows their context. He knows their situation. And he writes to remind them that God lovingly foreknew and chose them before they were ever born. If your faith is in Jesus, then hear this. God lovingly foreknew and chose you before you were born. God chose you. If you're a follower of Jesus before the foundations of the world. Peter tells them, he encourages them, the Spirit is sanctifying them. The Spirit is sanctifying you. He's setting you apart. He's working in your life. I know sometimes it feels like two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes that growth isn't as fast as we'd like. But the Spirit is sanctifying you. And of course Peter reminds them, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus left his home, came to earth, died on a cross, walked out of the grave to forgive you. You see, Peter wrote these verses because he knew that his audience would need all of God's help, all of God's power, all of himself if they were going to live faithfully for Jesus in exile. And so do we. So do we. See, by God's grace, God's work, God is working in our lives, helping us to be obedient to Jesus, even in the unfamiliar places, even when we feel like strangers, even in exile. And so like Peter, I want to encourage you, I want to leave you encouraged, remembering tonight, don't retreat. Don't compromise. By God's grace and power, fight to live faithfully here and now, even in an unfamiliar place, even in a culture that rejects us for our beliefs. Amen.